You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Today, we are going to turn the table a bit. Uh, We often talk about business owners and executives and things they can do as leaders to be better bosses. But today, I'm going to turn the table and take a look from the employee side. What do employees really want? And my guest is someone who's actually uh, written some material on that very theme. His name is Jack Wiley. Jack, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks, Doug. Delighted to be with you today. Yeah, as is a custom here, I always like to ask my guests to give us a little bit of backstory on your journey through your adult life and business world and what led you into the work you're doing now. Uh, Terrific. Well, my background is in organizational psychology, which basically is simply psychology applied to the workplace. Uh, I started off my career uh, once I left graduate school uh, working for major corporations, but uh, within a few years was able to actually uh, begin my own company, um, which I had for 20 years. We conducted employee engagement and customer satisfaction surveys for companies all around the world. Uh, One of the things we specialized in was showing the relationship between a satisfied workforce, satisfied customers, and financial uh, performance of organizations. Uh, But uh, as I developed that company, I was able to uh, sell that in 2006 to a fast-growing HR technology company. But I joined them, started a new division, uh, and helped them continue to grow and develop. And seven years later, Lo and behold, they were acquired by IBM. So at that point in time, um, I, as fine as an organization as IBM, I wasn't looking uh, to have 450,000 coworkers. So I decided it was time for me to exit that particular scenario. Uh, after taking uh, one year off to figure things out, I actually became uh, a full-time professor uh, at a uh, undergraduate university where I started a program in industrial organizational psychology, ran that for six years, and then decided it was time to leave because I had a a burning desire uh, to actually convert some of my research uh, into my most recently published book, which is The Employee-Centric Manager. Uh, That book came out a little over a year and a half ago, and I've since converted that uh, into a management training program uh, that I'm now delivering into corporate settings. Fascinating. And, and you know, there, there's a lot to unpack in that story. And congratulations on that journey and the successful sale of a business and all of those things that go with it. But I, I want to land on a couple of the points. Number one, starting with the idea of the basic employee satisfaction survey. Uh, I, I know all of the corporate companies that I work with have their own version of doing that. And it, it, you know, it's usually contracted out to an agency or a a service platform that does that. Well, the, um, you know, the elements that are in there uh, always have varying degrees of insight, but I, I want to, I want to spotlight the point you made of the correlation between ultimate financial performance of the company 
coming from customer satisfaction and more importantly, the employee satisfaction parts of it. And there's so many things that we've talked about on this show that kind of bleed over into that or impacted by it. We've had a number of shows where we've talked about company culture actually needing to serve your brand value. If if you put the big words on the wall that say, here's our mission, vision, and values, well, if your culture doesn't support that, your brand is dead on arrival. Right. I think it's dead on arrival from an employee point of view, as well as obviously facing to the customer as well. Right. You know, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because that is an area of research that's near and dear to my heart. In fact, um, a few years ago, I was working with colleagues. Uh, it was really a multinational team, but primarily colleagues in the United Kingdom. And we took a very different approach to what is typically called engagement survey work. Uh, we actually uh, decided to conduct some research aimed at understanding what were the factors that really contributed to the ultimate performance of an organization, which, as you know, is typically defined as financial performance. So instead of, of uh, kind of the typical approach of conducting a, an engagement survey and seeing what that correlated against, we actually defined our variable of interest as being the financial success of the organization. And then we worked back uh, to identify what were the uh, factors that could be uh, measured through an employee engagement survey that actually contributed to the success of the business. And we, we defined that broadly. We had accounting measures. We had market-based measures. We had uh, you know, uh, ranking measures, which are reputational uh, in their orientation. To, make, to try to boil this down, what we found was that there were really two pathways to success. One was really driven primarily, although not exclusively, by the senior leadership of the organization. And we called this pathway value creation. And what we found was uh, the more that the organization had a strong customer orientation, a high emphasis on the quality of products and services, technology that actually supported workers in getting the job done and the emphasized innovation, the more confident employees were of their success, which actually highly predicted both customer satisfaction and financial performance. The other pathway we referred to as operational effectiveness. It was more largely driven by the activities of the day-to-day -day manager, but it had to do with performance management, making sure people knew what their jobs were and were well-suited to that job, teamwork, uh, the extent to which employees felt recognized, and also uh, the opportunities for them to grow and develop. When those conditions were more in place, that's what really drove employee engagement, which was also a predictor of these desired outcomes of, of financial performance uh, and customer satisfaction. But uh, actually, uh, the, 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 the most important driver was, was the workforce confident in their ability to deliver? If they were confident in their ability to deliver, uh, then uh, the organization was on its pathway to um, improved uh, financial performance. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, I, as you were describing both of those, a number of things went through my mind, and, and one of which is... Um, my own 
personal experience, and, and a lot of my listeners have heard me reference this in the past. In my early uh, career life, I was a banker, and, and the bank I happened to be involved with was Large Regional, who at the time was on a, a run of high financial performance. And we ultimately, I, I joined them in the early going of this trend that I'm going to talk about <clears throat> But ultimately, what it turned into was 16 consecutive quarters of earnings growth. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not 16, 64 consecutive quarters. It was 16 years of quarter over quarter earnings growth. Well, congratulations on that. And and we had, an, uh, 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 at the time, I was young enough in my career, I didn't realize how rare this was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had just fallen into a pot of gold, so to speak. And we, um, uh, we had an incredible leadership laboratory that, that grew managers for the good of the organization, but we also had systems and procedures that helped us plan budget and, and then execute on the plan toward that goal. And there was a there was a palpable energy. We did actually we did not, as I recall, ever do bona fide customer engagement surveys as they're now known. But we we definitely had feedback opportunities and town halls and things that we did to engage people and inform people. But a lot of it, as I best remember it, was clarity from the top. You know, the vision and the direction were crystal clear. It was distilled and disseminated to all levels of the organization. And if you were a frontline manager and ever whispered the word, I don't understand where we're going, that was all on you. Because <laughs> there was just no possibility of being able to make that statement without simply not paying attention. Well, and not only does that obviously contribute to the success of business operations, but it also highly engages employees. Um, I've been a student of employee engagement and its drivers for well over 20 years. And basically, uh, time and time again, uh, our research identifies that there are four or five key drivers of employee engagement. But one of the things that would be at the very top of the list would be trust and confidence in senior leadership. Have they charted out a pathway by which we can follow to achieve success and have they communicated that effectively. And when that happens, the confidence in senior leadership, the trust in senior leadership soars, and that is a, a very a significant, uh, important contributor to employee engagement. Yeah, yeah, and, and we definitely had that. And in part, because our chairman through that journey was a very charismatic leader and one of the most famous and infamous bankers of his day and a gentleman named Ben Love. And he he himself was a very um, impressive stature of a man. He was six, seven. So when he walked in a room, you had no, <laughs> you couldn't miss him. <laughs> but but he, he had, had everyone's a, attention. But he had a personality and, and, a, and a demeanor about him that um, was even more impressive than the six seven frame would suggest. But uh, he he could back it up, 
And uh, there are a lot of Ben Love stories, which I won't go into, but uh, um, it, there was no doubt you got the message from Ben on where we needed to be going day by day. And uh, so I, you know, applaud him and I have fond memories of that. He's now deceased, but fond memories of, of those days. And, and there were there were plenty of people that came and went and were grossly intimidated by the whole environment because it was a... Uh, it was a challenge, and uh, and it, but it was more of a gauntlet for a, a greater cause. And if you didn't drink the Kool Aid, so to speak, you probably weren't going to last very long. But uh, if you did, there was there was a lot of reward and a lot of uh, enjoyment being there. But um, so let's let's start with your first book. You you wrote a book about what employees want, right? I did, actually. Um, th this was a book that was a very long time coming uh, because I actually started the research program back in the mid-1980s. Mm. I had this wonderful opportunity uh, to ask people on a regular basis, a and this happened to be a representative sample of, of workers in the United States, all industry groups, um, all job types, um, and we had uh, proper representation of, of male and female and uh, educational levels and so forth, I, I asked them this simple question. What is the most important thing you want from the company for which you work? Uh, and the reason, interestingly enough, Doug, that I asked that question was because I thought that employee satisfaction surveys back in that era had become incredibly long uh, in ways that were unjustifiable. And if we could, if we could sort this down to a much shorter list that we could ask employees about, uh, it'd be a much more valuable piece of information for senior leadership and day-to-day -day managers. Anyway, we continued to collect data over a 25-year period of time, but by then we had expanded our research uh, to include um, 12 of the largest economies in the world. So it wasn't simply US-centric, which you know so much of, of research is. We really wanted more of a, a geographic reach, uh, and and the the economies involved represented about two thirds of the world's gross domestic product. So we had a, a real good representation. Now, here's what we found: uh, it turns out there were seven things that employees most wanted from their organization, from their employer, and I formed uh, an acronym called Respect, where we would have a letter represent representing each one of those seven attributes. Uh, the first letter in the RESPECT acronym stands for recognition. This is really about being respected and recognized. It's not a matter of financial reward so much as it is psychological appreciation. In the old days, we might've said, add a boy, add a girl, pat on the back type of recognition. Doesn't cost the organization anything. It's just a matter of awareness and showing appreciation. Uh, the second letter, uh, the E, uh, really uh, stands for exciting work. Uh, now, normally we would just call this challenging, mentally interesting work, but I needed an E, so I chose to call it exciting work yeah. uh, to fill out that acronym. But it's, it's the whole notion of uh, being in a job that provides you with a sense of accomplishment where you feel you can be successful and you, you basically are jazzed up by the kind of work you do. Uh, the S in the acronym stands for security. Interestingly enough, uh, and even when we began this research, it was becoming an era where 
organizations really didn't want to talk about job security so much. But what we found was that 18%, almost one out of every five employees identified employment security as what they most wanted from their employer. Uh, and this had to do with, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, they want to be confident in the future success of their employer. But for them personally, that would translate into their ability to take care of their family, you know, uh, put food on the table, uh, uh, shelter over their heads, that kind of thing. And it's very important and remains important uh, to this day. Uh, the fourth uh, letter, uh, not surprisingly, stands for pay. Uh, but it was really about fair pay, not necessarily a demand for higher pay, but to be paid in a way that was equitable to the competencies the individual brought and equitable to the outside market in terms of that external equity. The second E in the RESPECT model stood for education and career growth. Um, again, you might just call this career growth and development, but I needed an E, so I called it education and career growth. But in truth, a lot of it was about skill building. Mm -hmm. I, want to, I want to gain new skills, uh, be more challenged by my work, and have the opportunity uh, if desired to, you know, move up through promotional opportunities, which obviously also uh, carry with them some compensation, uh, positive compensation implications. Uh, the C in the model stood for conditions, but it was really positive working conditions. And there were two elements to this. One was physical. Uh, I, I want to be in a position where my safety is a matter of concern to my employer, that they're not going to subject me to unsafe working conditions. You know, in a manufacturing environment that, that is obvious, in a processing plant that would be obvious, but even in retail stores, uh, safety has to do with being protected uh, from outside influences and, and people who are there to, to, to engage in, you know, inappropriate behavior and theft and a security of that nature. But the other piece, which actually turned out to be the bigger part of positive working conditions, was to work in a, a socially acceptable work environment where there was the absence of you know, micromanagement, where there was support for work-life balance, where there was an emphasis on team worker uh, cooperation. Uh, and so uh, it really had to do with a positive social environment. And then the final letter, uh, is truth or teeth standing for truth. Um, you might call this communication, but it was very specific about, uh, I want to be told the truth by the senior leaders of the organization in terms of the direction we're headed, how well we're performing, what changes we need to make if necessary, and also how my role fits into the success of the firm and how I'm doing in terms of my own performance contribution. And so that formed the acronym RESPECT, and all of the responses we got to that open-ended question of what is the most important thing you want uh, from your employee, 98% of everything we received in terms of the database could be categorized into one of those seven attributes. Wow, that's powerful. That, that's, and that's very meaningful. And I certainly hope everybody listening took good notes or hit the replay button and, and, and go back through those seven attributes because... I think so much about many, many situations I've been in and, and executives I've coached with where something about one of those seven things has been the, the focal point of our discussions and our efforts. Let, let me ask you this. I, I want to jump kind of fast forward. 
uh, obviously a lot has been said or is being said about the post-pandemic leadership world. And a couple of observations I've got that I would like to check with you. My observations are not scientific at all. It's just anecdotal from working with my own corporate clients. I've had a number of companies, and, and this is across many different industries, share with me their engagement surveys post-pandemic. And there's an interesting pivot that I've seen that from my experience over the decades that I've lived and, and been involved, there was one dynamic in particular having to do with trust of leadership. And it was the split between do I trust my boss or do I trust senior leadership? And for decades, as I recall it, Again, all this is not scientific whatsoever, just purely anecdotal. The surveys tended to say, we trust senior management. I don't necessarily trust my boss. And, and that was kind of a pattern that lived for a long time. But, but into the core of the pandemic and post-pandemic, that scoring flipped. People were reporting, I trust my boss. He seems to be shooting straight with me as best he can. But man, senior leadership doesn't seem to have a clue what's going on. It, it, it's this way today and that way tomorrow, and it, it's back and forth, and I have no trust in where they're going. So having said that, let me ask you, have, have you heard anything similar or seen any discussion about that in your numbers? Well, I think what happened with the, with the pandemic, of course, it threw a lot of organizations into disarray. And uh, it, everyone all of a sudden... Uh, were they, they were backpedaling. They were kind of on their back legs, so to speak, in terms of trying to figure out uh, how to respond to this. And so there was uncertainty. Uh, and, and you want certainty. You want, you want closure. You want concrete uh, steps forward. And there were a lot of organizations struggling with what those concrete steps forward would look like. And so uh, then people turned their attention to their immediate boss. They were the conduit by which information flowed. They were the ones who had the day-to-day -day, uh, interactions. They were the ones who were scrambling to make sure people were properly supported, uh, whether they uh, were essential workers and had to come on site or whether they were uh, adapting to this you know, significant change uh, of remote work. And so uh, what people were really looking for from their immediate boss, what our research indicated uh, was kind of a, a consistency in communication, flexibility to get the work done under unusual circumstances, and making sure that people were properly supported. If they were working remotely, all of a sudden they needed new tools, new equipment, new methods of communication, and they were looking for their immediate uh, boss to supply that. So managers who could step up had some flexibility, had some problem-solving capabilities, were the ones who were highly valued. Yeah. Well, and, and that's consistent. And I've also heard stories of going back to your acronym, the, the safety element, obviously, the whole return to work question um, really triggered that perception of safety, both um, from a uh, a viral health protection standpoint, as well as in some cases, I, I know of one company, I'm not going to name names or even name cities for, uh, you know, breaking confidence, but 
things that happened in their downtown area where their headquarters were, and it was really not safe to walk back into the building because of all the activities on the street. And so the company was reeling with trying to figure out how to get people back to work because, you know, just parking your car in the garage and walking into the building was a threat. And yeah. they they were having to really manage that and, and work through that. And I think all of that has been successfully overcome. But there was a window there, a couple of quarters of time when even though they opened the doors and wanted people back, people cited that as the reason they didn't want to come back. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because actually that was one of the things that people uh, most wanted during the, you know, the, the height of that uncertainty. Uh, are the policies of the organization going to protect me in terms of my physical well-being? And is my manager uh, going to respect me in a way that he or she would not subject me uh, to things that that uh, might be you know, harmful uh, to me, whether it's psychologically or physically. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, moving on, you you did release a second book about the um, people-centric manager. So tell us about that work. Right, right. It, it followed the same model, uh, Doug, in terms of the research, but was more actually more expansive. Um, as the resources became more available, uh, the reach of the uh, research expanded to include 27 countries around the world. So basically think G20 plus seven uh, kind of emerging economies. We had representative samples of, of workers from 27 countries around the world representing now 85% of the world's gross domestic product. And I had the opportunity over successive occasions to ask what is the most important thing you want from your immediate boss, from the person who provided you with uh, day-to-day with -day direction, the person who evaluated your performance, who communicated um, your, your pay increases and, and such? So we clearly defined our terms and in terms of, of who we were focused on, the immediate manager. Uh, but as I said, now we have even a broader reach because I was looking for a universal answer. I was, are there universal attributes that regardless of where you're employed and regardless of what level you operate with or what educational level you bring to your job, are there universal attributes that subordinate employees are seeking uh, in their manager? And it turns out there were. Uh, and this time we found eight attributes. Uh, and the eight attributes can actually be broken down into what I might call relationship behaviors, performance behaviors, a, a skill, and then two values. Um, and, and I'd be happy to take you through those if you're interested. Yeah, please. All right, so we'll, we'll start with the relationship behaviors. Um, and these aren't exclusive relation, exclusively relationship behaviors because when managers do these things, they also contribute to performance, but primarily it's about building a better relationship with immediate subordinates. Number one, and actually, the attribute that was identified most frequently around the world was, I want my manager to show support and understanding. So that means I want my manager to be available, uh, to be encouraging, to be empathetic, uh, to provide me with what I need to get the job done, to be a good listener, to be a considerate person. 
Uh, yeah. That's showing that's showing support and understanding. That whole empathy is the word that was in my mind as you were describing that, and that's um, in the coaching realm. That's clearly a leadership value that we encourage people to consider. And it's it's interesting to me how often people find that difficult to do as a manager. And it's like, well, don't you want that from your boss? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I'll give you an interesting factoid. Executives are even more likely than the average employee to identify support and understanding as what they most need from their boss, um, I, which I found fascinating. But showing support and understanding was, was the first attribute. Uh, the second attribute that makes up the cluster of relationship behaviors is treating people with dignity and respect. And so that basically has to do with presuming good intent on the part of the employee. Uh, I, I, I view the employee as someone who's here to make a positive contribution. I'm going to engage them in decision making that affects their work. I'm certainly going to show uh, respect for their uh, well-being, both psychologically and physically. Uh, that's how employees want their manager to show them dignity and respect. So those are the two relationship behaviors. Then there are three performance behaviors. One is, interestingly enough, providing clear performance expectations. In other words, define what success means, what it is you want me to produce, uh, what, do you, what do you regard as being successful output, uh, that's communicating clear performance expectations. And oh, by the way, provide me with ongoing useful feedback so we can mold my performance to achieve the target. <clears throat> the second uh, performance behavior is, is really providing recognition. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but that's simply pat on the back, at a boy, at a girl type of recognition. That doesn't cost anything. It's not financially oriented. It's, it's really... Uh, psychological appreciation for a job well done, saying thank you uh, for a job well done. Now, the third uh, relationship behavior is rewarding performance contributions. Um, employees do recognize that managers may have some limitations over how they can reward employees. But uh, interestingly enough, this was 50% uh, reward through fair comp but it was 50% reward through increased training and development opportunities. So it wasn't all about the money. It was certainly about the money, but it was also equally about opportunities to continue grow and, to grow and develop. And you know, how managers do this can range all the way from uh, you know, giving employees a spot bonus, giving them a, a gift card, um, or cross-training them in new assignments, uh, making sure they get a chance to attend this training program or or that um, opportunity to attend a conference, whatever it might be. But that's rewarding performance contributions. When people deliver, they expect, you know, the, the quid pro quo, they expect their manager uh, to deliver for them as well. Then we, <clears throat> excuse me, we turn to one skill. Uh, the skill had to do with, well, a skill is something we're good at because we practice employees wanted their manager to be good at problem solving and decision making. So not just that they would make decisions, but that they would be good at it because when they are, uh, that knocks down obstacles for employees, allows them to be more effective and obviously enhances the overall sense of competence. 
So it was very important to employees that they work for someone who be who is good at, at problem solving and decision making. And that brings us to our last cluster, which is a values cluster. Uh, I define these as personal standards of conduct. This, these are personal standards of conduct I want and expect from my immediate boss. The first is that, that they be fair and just. So this is about uh, treating employees uh, equitably, fairly, consistently, giving all employees the same degree of flexibility, not having pet employees who receive preferential treatment, uh, but holding everybody accountable and judging them on the basis of their performance, not on any individual characteristics they bring into the job. And then finally, uh, the, the, the eighth attribute was being honest and trustworthy. In other words, is this a person who's sincere, candid, frank, forthright, um, kind of the old language would be, do they walk the talk? You know, th this is really the issue of, of integrity. Do they say what they, what they mean and do they mean what they say? Uh, and that's being honest and trustworthy. And actually, uh, between those two personal standards of conduct, those two values, that represented uh, 20%. In other words, those two values represented 20% of, of what employees said they most wanted from their immediate boss. So these weren't, these weren't inconsequential in terms of what employees were looking for. Yeah. Well, that, that is very, very powerful. I'd like to go back to the point about problem solving. The, the employee, if I heard you right, the employee values the boss who can make decisions and is good at the problem solving. Here's a conundrum that I'd like to run by you. I, what I've come to do over many years of executive coaching, I find a pattern that that I see that I try to help my more senior executives break through and, and stop doing. And that is this, you know, just a quick backstory that we've, we've got a tradition in business. We need a supervisor on the front line. We, we go find our best producer and we elevate them to be supervisor. Poof, you know, arguably one of the weakest practices in business that, that we can enjoy, but we do it nonetheless. Well, then that person gets into that supervisory role. If they muddle through it and figure it out, inevitably they get a chance to move up another level and promote it into another management role, and then so on and so on two or three more times. Well, one of the dynamics that I certainly see happening is one of the reasons they usually get recognized for that second promotion is that they are, in fact, very good problem solvers. They look at the work of the team, they've got a hurdle and a roadblock, they figure out how to bust through it, and they produce. So that gets some recognition, they make it to the next level. So in their mind, they're saying, well, that's how I got promoted, so if I'm going to be successful at this new level, I'm going to just do more of that. And so they, they get ingrained in this problem-solving mindset. Well, at some level of the organization, and I see this in many, many industries, there's a subconscious pivot that the organization is expecting the more senior managers to be more strategic and less tactical. But the person is stuck on that 
gerbil's circle of problem solving. So what I've started doing is coaching people and challenging them. When somebody comes to you, are you just giving them an answer and solving the problem? Or are you leading them through that problem, helping them learn how to have that critical thinking, that, that logic chain to be able to solve the problem and basically share your problem-solving skill with the people that report to you so that they then can elevate and and learn to be that person. And every chance I've ever had to really get into the meat of that question with my leaders, they all love it and they realize that they can satisfy one of those needs by educating and elevating their people if they stop just quickly solving the problem. And I've got a real simple methodology I use to, to get them geared in that direction. And that is when, you're, when your people bring you a problem, start by asking a minimum of three questions. Don't just go straight to the solution, but ask three questions. You know, well, who have you talked to? What else have you thought about? How did you come to your conclusion here? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But if you think about it, you can verbalize your logic process in your mind that you've got the experience to do and and start sharing it with your people. And in a lot of cases, the subordinates realize, oh, I knew that. I, I know how to do that. And But now they're getting the affirmation that that's the right path to be on. And they all elevate. Yeah. No, I think your point's extremely well taken. I mean, the fact of the matter is, because what you laid out in terms of the progression of manager is that is reality. Uh, but here are a couple of additional thoughts. Uh, number one, employees want to participate in decision making. Most, you know, are extremely well informed. And if the manager goes about, as you said, asking the right questions, they're going to pull out information that actually leads to a better decision because you have more informed parties participating in the decision-making process. Right. And as you said, that's, a, that's an important development tool for the employee. Sometimes managers could even delegate the problem solving to the employees uh, so that they can learn how to come up with solutions that are important. Uh, and, and valuable in addressing whatever whatever the issue uh, is. And of course, they develop in the process. The other point I, I would make is that when managers uh, when managers make a decision, sometimes there's a sense of determination that this is the decision we're going to stay with, even when you have competing information indicating that, wait a minute, we need to uh, size up the situation and possibly a reverse course. Uh, almost any definition of intelligence or cognitive mental ability includes the notion that when presented with new information, uh, an individual who is, is intelligent is going to uh, use that new information to alter uh, their approach to whatever it is in life that they're, they're approaching. So adjusting and adapting to new information is critical as well. When managers hold on and are stubborn about it in the face of new information, uh, this actually not only leads to poor decisions, but they lose, uh, they lose credibility with their teams. Yeah. Well, the other thing you touched on, Jack, and uh, I'd like to explore uh, further is that idea that <clears throat> 
even more senior executives in an organization have their own, as an employee, they've got expectations of their bosses. So inevitably, what that leads to is the question, and, and, I, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it and I'll tell you why I hate it. Um, it, it. The popular phrase is, how do I manage up the organization? And my quick answer when a client asks me that, I'll say, well, let's, let's reset this level. Number one, from a technical standpoint, you will never manage up. You can influence you can create input and 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 help shape what is happening but i think you know you set yourself up for a fail if you create your own expectation that you somehow are going to learn how to manage your boss i just it's a philosophical argument but nonetheless one i at least try to challenge my clients to think about so when, when when you hear that or, or think about that the the concept of managing up what what does your research tell you right well i i do think that um managers at all levels of the organization uh want the the subordinates under them to be able to communicate effectively up the chain of command that uh, they want employees who are going to have a good work ethic and be good about clear honest communication up the chain of command. But um, as far as the phrase managing up, um, I have a little bit of an aversion to that phrase as well, because oftentimes we're talking about managing up in a way that's different than how you manage down. So uh, some are particularly effective with their communication techniques managing up because they're trying to burnish their own image uh, in a way that obviously is going to put them in the most positive light. Yet at the same time, uh, they fail to invest uh, the same degree of, of, of interest uh, in communicating effectively with those uh, who are their subordinate employees. They don't invest the high quality communication that's going to build a good relationship with subordinate employees. Uh, and all of their, or seemingly, the bulk of their energy is going toward managing their own relationship for, uh, if you will, a selfish um, reason of of simply elevating their own image. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I do agree. There, there are those that um, the the phrase that came to mind as you were describing that. There are those that play the game. Uh, 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 communicating upwards so that they can embellish and improve their own brand value to senior leaders. And um, inevitably, those that try the hardest to play that game, you're right. I, I think they're, to me, to me, again, anecdotal experience only, there's a correlation that they inevitably aren't that good, you know, down the chain. Because, well, call it security or call it whatever, but... One of the things that I found in, in my research was that one of the biggest turnoffs uh, for subordinate employees is when the manager takes the good idea of the employee, doesn't give the employee credit for it, takes credit for that idea in the eyes of their uh, manager. Um, and when employees find out about that, it, it really goes a long way toward um, destroying uh, the trust the employees have with the with the uh, manager. Plus, 
the, the manager who does that is rather short-sighted. Uh, if they give employees the credit, it's going to boost the engagement of employees. Um, if they're spotlighted with the chain of command, um, they're going to be known as managers who have a, a comfort level where they can do that. Uh, and they're going to be regarded as, as better people uh, developers, so to speak, in terms of, of creating um, a, a more talented, uh, robust workforce. And so it's, it's really a missed opportunity, but one that, that gnaws on employees um, incredibly so uh, when managers fail to give credit to the right people for the contributions that are made, instead trying to take credit themselves for other people's work. Yeah. I, you know, thinking about that, I, um, I'm reminded of a, a situation I was in. I, I, I was engaged by one of the large global technology and manufacturing companies. And I, I was dealing with essentially what you might call the L3 levels of leadership, you know, L1 top of house, L2 very senior and L3 right below that. I was dealing with the L3s and one of the objectives was to help them craft their own vision of development over the next uh, 24 months. And we put together these individual development plans. And then we had a three-way with the L2 that they reported to. And this one particular L2 uh, was really impressive to me because he, the first time I met up with him, the coachee that I had had put down a, a very personal development plan. You know, there were three or four things that he really valued and, and was asking permission to do. But the L2 basically said, I can get on board with all these, but you're missing a big step. I don't see anything about your commitment to develop your people. Yeah. And I want that being one of the objectives. So I, I thought, well, kudos to you, L2, for pointing that out. And then about two weeks later, I realized one of my other clients also reported to this same L2. So I, I, I thought for a minute, and as a coach, I had, to, I had this conundrum, do I spill the beans, do I let him know, or do I just let him go ahead and present his plan as it is? And I thought of the latter, I, I, I chose to do that, and sure enough, we got into the meeting, and my coach uh, person was presenting, and I, I, I looked at the L2, and he looked at me, and he said, Doug, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? And I said, yes, sir, I sure do. <laughs> and, and he again hit it. He said, I'm going to critique this. And then we kind of joked about it. And he asked me at the end, he said, why didn't you coach him to change that? And I said, it wouldn't be learning for him. I, I'm not here to influence your relationship. You two need to have your relationship. And I said, if I had intervened because I saw the show once before, you know, uh, spoiler alert kind of thing. I said uh, he wouldn't have had a learning opportunity. And, and, the, and the L2 said, well, you know, I can appreciate that. Thank you for, for doing that. And he said, you're right. And sure enough, you know, everything ended up very well. But it's, um, it, it was really interesting to watch that dynamic unfold. Well, I bet it was. And, and it, it, I, I'm sure there was... Um, uh, kind of decision that you had to make, obviously, um, and thought long and hard about before you decided to withhold that information so that the person you were coaching could could maximize from the 
a development opportunity it represented. And I think along the way, you probably gained more credibility with the L2 in the same process. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, one last question. I, I want to go back to the seven um, uh, values or, or desires on what the employee wants there, or maybe I'm already missing the information or getting it mixed up. But anyways, on the relationship part, yeah. this is a frequent question that, that my clients challenge me with, and, and that is when we start talking about these, building these relationships, often junior leaders jump immediately to the notion of friendship. Well, I don't want to be friends with my people. And I am I usually feed back on that question and saying, I'm not asking you to be friends with them, but I am asking you to be friendly about how you go about your work. So what do you think about that? No, I think that's exactly right. Um, people um, want from their bosses that they be uh, considerate. Uh, encouraging, supportive, friendly, easy to be around. Uh, that's not the same thing as being best friends. It's 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 about uh, treating people the way that you would like to be treated. And if I had one uh, sentiment uh, or suggestion to to pass along uh, to to managers, and 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 I do in the workshops I conduct, is put yourself in the shoes of your employee and treat them the same way in which you would like to be treated. I mean, it's the golden rule. Um, it's the principle of reciprocity. Um, that advice goes a long way. Yeah, it's kind of the old question, would you want to work for you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Jack, I know we're about up on time here. I really appreciate this. This is powerful stuff. And uh, tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Right. Uh, the website is www.employeecentricity.com. Uh, just the way that you would think about it, the word employee combined with the word centricity. Uh, that's the website. You can learn a lot more about us there, what we do, uh, the systems we have in place, and a little bit more about the research. We're uh, very active on social media, so uh, there are things that are being developed and and uh, produced uh, on a regular basis. And so you'll learn new information there as well. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for sharing this. And thank you for your uh, lifelong commitment to developing this, this powerful information to really help people understand. And as the title of my show suggests, I love common sense answers. I appreciate your acronym and I appreciate your framework for presenting this so that we can break it down and eliminate some of the complexity and mystique about these things, but back it up with hard data and, and good information. So thank you. Uh, thanks, Doug. It's been terrific being with you. Really enjoyed it. And with that, folks, we're going to put a bow on this one and uh, shut it down. But I do, again, want to remind you all the information about getting in touch with Jack will be in our show notes. You just have to click the links below in, in uh, whatever source you've consumed this show with. And we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, uh, same channel name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, take a look, uh, subscribe. We've got some package offerings there, some uh, exclusive VIP membership opportunities for you if you're looking to grow and increase your leadership effectiveness. We're here to help, and thank you for listening in. Hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. 
hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.